Good day, people. It's another uh, another day when we're recording Fucking Marketing Show. Uh, bring on uh, some people that I consider that they are doing funky marketing one way or the other, maybe working for themselves, working for the others, or, you know, just being a good human being, trying to change the game of marketing or bringing back where it belongs. So more ethics, more stuff that are related to the customers. And today I have a pleasure to talk with uh, with somebody that I've been going, you know, back and forth in the comments on LinkedIn. Uh, also, I think on some other platforms, maybe Product Hunt, if I remember something like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, today we're going to talk specifically about, uh, you know, organizing content workflow in SaaS to kind of produce more quality content. We're going to talk about different uh different strategies for SaaS and Emilia Korszynska, uh, who is currently head of uh, marketing and, at UserPilot. Hey, Nemanja. Thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. Yeah. Did I get the, the, the surname right? Perfect. It was the best way I've heard my surname in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, li I like to, you know, just try it on, not to ask people, but try to get it. That was that was a very good try. Uh, yeah. So nice. I'm I'm glad. So uh, before we we uh, you know we got into different things related to your career, what you do, those kind of stuff. I would like to go straight into the straight into the topic, and you know go from uh, from talking about how do we organize content in a way that it can be sustainable we don't drain our people but we still produce more content uh in a, in a shorter period of time like in our case this is something that we've been doing with funky marketing we managed to do it with three people uh mm -hmm. produce sometimes four producing up to uh 50 uh written articles per month but there is one thing because we're using also AI, so mm -hmm. it's involved in the process. And uh, I mean, I can share some of the things, but I'm interesting, interested to hear how did you organize uh, the workflow uh, in UserPilot? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm also very curious about your process, but basically in 2021, I had one job that was to, you know, create and scale the content department because we basically noticed that content is something is the channel that drives most of our leads so you know why spread yourself thinly when you can you know, focus your efforts on something that is already working so I started off from a similar situation to yours but that didn't work out for us um, so hiring full-time writers um, basically my logic was that user pilot is you know, a very 
technical B2B platform. I mean, it's not technical in the sense that it's like difficult to use, but it's a product growth platform. So it's intended for a very specific specialized audience. Our audience doesn't, you know, um, take content that has not been written by experts very seriously, right? So um, the topics we write about are usually complex. So it's like feature adoption, product adoption, right? Um, news onboarding, secondary onboarding, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we have used freelancers and agencies before, but usually they didn't produce great results. Um, because they weren't subject matter experts, so they would end up just like scraping the first page in Google and, you know, repurposing, regurgitating things, and the content was just like meh. It was like me too, you know, mirage content a lot of times, so basically they didn't bring any added value. So I'm like, okay, so first thing, we need to build the team in-house because I can't rely on freelancers to understand the product, to understand the audience. That was my first hypothesis, which was, I will give you heads up, which was wrong. <laughs> so we spent like three months looking for these, you know, perfect unicorn writers that would be passionate about SaaS, would have knowledge and understanding of product marketing and product management, right? These are like already very, very high level skills. Um, and that would want to write three to four pieces a month. Um, per week, sorry, not per month. So that was a lot. Our target was to publish 10 blog posts per week. Um, so between like three to four writers, we thought that shouldn't be a problem. We found these people after all. We like, I feel like I just persuaded them to work for us. They didn't really want to be, you know, full-time content writers. Um, so they were like burning out double time and three out of four ended up quitting in the first three months. So I was like, you know, you spent all this time, like a few weeks, I think six weeks or more, just looking for these people. Then you spent a few weeks onboarding them, like training them in the product, et cetera, et cetera, right? And setting up all the processes for these people and then they leave. It was just really sort of destroying. So at that point, I went back to the drawing board and I'm like, okay, what did I do wrong? I started chatting to people like yourself, uh, not you at that point, but I talked to Gordana um, from Content Distribution. I talked yeah, yeah, yeah. To, yeah, yeah. She's um, she's from Serbia as well. Um, I talked. Yeah, they, to... they, they hired tons of tons of writers, so mm. a good person to talk to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, I was like, how do you do that? Um, I, you know, subscribed to John Bernini's Some Good Content on Patreon. I talked to people in, in-house who were running, you know, larger content in-house teams. And after a week or so of chatting to people, it suddenly all clicked. And I realized that it's process, not people. So um, somehow I borrowed the process from software development. So instead of having few writers write a lot of content, I basically divided the content plan into themes. So there's nothing new, content cluster strategy from HubSpot. And then assigned just one writer to each piece of content, a freelance writer. So that was a change. And instead of, you know, trying to find perfect writers, I promoted the only remaining, you know, a writer that we had in-house into a content editor. 
And we started mm -hmm. working on processes that would basically allow us to scale, you know, writing good content without hiring, you know, super sophisticated writers. So how did that work? Um, can I share my screen, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll just show you. You should be able to, to share a screen. There is a, there's yeah. a button below. Yeah, yeah I see it. Let's see, just... yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, just, just have in mind that we are posting this also as audio. So just, yeah. you know, okay. try to right. explain. Yeah, no, no, I'm going to be doing, of course, audio description here, but it's, um, you know, it's just like with tying your shoelaces a bit easier to show than tell. And mm -hmm. so basically we okay, arranged. So here we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We arranged this content into these different topic clusters, right? So you can see there are like 10 topic clusters and each of them has a content editor assigned to them, right? So this is the person responsible for creating the briefs. And inside this, we have all the different blog topics we are working on, right? And these in turn are assigned to writers, right? So then the writers get a brief, which is super, super detailed. At first, I was creating the briefs together with the other content editor. And then we developed, ultimately, we've developed a system and templates for briefs as well. So these days, it's much easier to create the briefs for us because we just have a template and then we fill them with talking points. So each brief consists of like um, basically SEO meta information about the um, blog post, which we take from Surfer SEO. Um, the word count, the, um, the keyword that we want to optimize it for, and then we put the surfer editor there. I'll get to that in a second, why we decided to write all our content in surfer. Introduction, some fixed basically elements. This is part of the template, right? So all the things in pink are templated, so the content editor doesn't have to repeat it over and over again. All the H2s, all the H3s, all the images, all the links, internal and outbound, that we want to include in the content are included in the brief. So the writer just needs to take this. They don't need to think, you know, what they are going to talk about. And they basically write it up. The advantage of this is that we control the content and we control the quality. Um, the writer doesn't have to spend so much time on research. We don't have to spend time on revisions and going back and forth. It works. And it's better optimized for SEO. Then, as I said, at some point we decided to add Surf SEO to our marketing tool stack because this is a better way to optimize the content um, mm -hmm. for SEO. Basically, the way it works, it scrapes the top ranking results for the particular keyword. And, you know, it cooks up this paint-by-numbers recipe for the writer, which keywords to include in which, you know, like concentration, right? How many words, how many paragraphs, headings, images, all this is already already there. Um, based on the top-ranking content, right? So it's not best practices like some plugins like Yoast SEO would do, but it's actually this. And once, you know, the... Um, content is written in Surfer, the writer pushes it to um, Story Chief, where they get feedback from the editor. So the feedback is in mm -hmm. comments. I guess this one hasn't been checked yet, so there are no comments yet. 
But essentially, this is where the editor gives the writer comments if anything needs to be improved, if they need to elaborate on some points more, or you know, maybe they didn't include something from the brief um, that they should have, et cetera, et cetera. And once that is done, we push this content to our blog, to our medium with a canonical tag and to all the social media platforms that we basically um, publish to with one click. But now the important part is, you know, this is the Kanban board. So once, you know, the um, piece of content has been prepared by the content editor for the writer, so they created the task, they put it in the to-do column, right? The writer knows they have been assigned this piece of content. Each writer works only on one epic, so that's important. So they basically get more familiar with the topic over time, and they have only one blog post to write per week. So they have plenty of time to do that. It's very predictable. They know that they need to deliver the post every Monday. And they also know that every Monday they will find a new task here with the brief, with the, all the links they need. Once they start working on it, they move it to in progress writing. And once they are done with it by Monday for this particular epic, they move it to editing. And this is where the editor picks it up. Once the editor is happy with it, right, they add a payment, right? We have like um, basically payment system baked into Asana, right? Freelance payments. We basically give them a fee that's usually a fixed fee, right? We assign the month to this, that's January. Imagine that's happening now, right? And that goes straight to accounting. So accounting can filter, you know, the and um, basically, you know, the, the completed tasks in a given month by writers and they know immediately how much they need to pay everyone. So that also basically helps organize a workflow. And once the editor is happy with the content, right, they add the payment and they move it to proofreading. If they are not happy with the content, they move it back to in progress and they leave a comment for the writer to fix, you know, the problems they have listed in Story Chief in the comments. But assuming everything went fine, they move it to proofreading. And this is where another person picks it up. This is our freelance proofreader who basically as a native speaker goes through the content again, checks for any language errors, also checks the content again against our SEO checklist. So a final, final checklist make sure all the alternative um, texts, all the alt texts have been added to images. All the images have the right titles. All the links that are supposed to have like no follow tags or do follow tags have the right tags, right? So after these final checks, only then the proofreader pushes the content to our blog and also writes social media posts and pushes it to social media. So that is the workflow in general. And it really, really helped us scale the content operations because instead of having, you know, single point of failure, so few writers producing a lot of content, imagine, you know, if you have only two writers and one of them drops out for whatever reason, like half of your content is gone. You need to like start searching for another person, train them, et cetera, et cetera. Here it's a lot more transactional. So basically, um, you know, it's easier to replace a writer that, you know, drops out with another one 
if you have such tight systems for, for everything really. So now we have documentation and self-serve courses for onboarding. So when we have a new writer join us, they go through the onboarding themselves. We don't have to work on it anymore. They have pre-recorded instructions how to do absolutely everything, how to use Surfer, how to use StoryChief, how to use our workflow, right? Um, all the Q&As, everything. So, you know, I feel like we could almost put an average intelligent chimpanzee there and they would be able to follow the instructions and produce good quality content based on the briefs. Um, that's, that's roughly it. Yeah, um, that sound, sounds good. And I like how integrated even the payment system and everything. Like yeah. it, it's really clear. And I mean, that's the that's kind of the point of the system, right? So you can get anyone to go through these points yeah. and you will have this outcome that you want to have out of it. Yeah, uh, like I've been listening to you and I have a couple of statements, questions, however sure. it is. Like the first one is... Um, you obviously found out that so many more companies have. It is that, you know, it's not easy to find writers that can write about, about SaaS, that can write about, you know, advanced tech things, deep tech, for example, like those, mm. kind, of, those kind of things. Because my experience is that most of the writers would like to pay to just create, you know, like, Easy, simple articles, uh, those that they say they, they create for the SEO, right? Most of them know how to work in, in the B2C industries, so it's mm -hmm. something else. Uh, some of them, you know, have not ever been writing to the topics related to the, you know, complex products or services, those kind of stuff. And it's really hard for, the, for most of them to go through that transition and learn something about it. But... I think it also goes back to, you know, if you're a great writer, you need to have a process of uh, doing your research so you can get familiar with the topic. And, you know, if not, then I don't consider you as, a, you know, as a senior content writer that can do its own process and, you know, those kind of stuff. But, uh, and that's what lots of companies been telling me, like we've been mm -hmm. working with, uh, for example, with, with Insider, and uh, Leah from Insider told me, like, I've been talking with 22 different agencies, like 22. And this is like the first conversation that really tells me that you have been writing about those topics, you know, mm -hmm. those kind of stuff. And so it's really hard to find someone that can jump in. Like, that was my experience also with finding people. I was able to find two, you know, mm -hmm. like... Gordana, as we mentioned, from content distribution, Nick and the whole uh, all content distribution agency were managed to have a different uh, approach and find more people. And, and that's really great because it works. It works for them. They managed to, I think, create the, you know, uh, some kind of cooperation with the university, with people studying language, those kind of stuff. And I think that can really help in the process if you need you know, more content writers. Uh, but for us, we started with with one writer, with one, uh, let's say, content strategist, and with one editor. So basically, that was it. We added another writer later because we needed. But the I think the main point is, and you also figured it out and put it in the process, it's, uh, you know, uh, create a great brief 
no, show the content writer what you want to do, how do you want it done, mm. uh, you know, what you want to get as the outcome of the article, you know, what do you want uh, to be inside it, you know, like the outlines. Uh, also, uh, in our case, it works in two different um Two different ways. If you work with a with a company that is creating the brief, then we inform them what needs to be inside it. Or if we are doing it, then it's you know up to us. But uh, so sometimes it's the company, sometimes it's us. And usually it's uh, mm-hmm. you know before we start writing, there are uh, keywords we want to include. There's um, three ranking articles that uh, we want to, you know, so we can have an overview of uh, what's been ranking so far. Uh, then we we have the outlines. And then we have, you know, the, the certain brief of uh, what's going on inside it. And then we have, you know, uh, usually three or four questions that we want to have at the end of the article. So kind of go through the topics that might be difficult for reader to understand mm-hmm. and uh and it's the same because we started using uh what's the name today it's justin or something like because it's not jarvis anymore jasper, jasper. Yeah. yeah yeah they yeah. changed they changed the name uh and and it's the same when you are writing with the with the tool because you need to have all those stuff i mean you can create the outlines inside it, but you need to tell to tell it before yeah. you start writing, you know, I want to write the topic, uh, you know, an article on this and these topics. I want to include this, this and that, and I want to have this as the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, I tested it. So. Yeah, so, so basically you need you need to have the, the brief, which is very clear before you get, get into it. And we've been working, you know, uh, back and forth with it and come up with a, with a certain process where we basically, you know, just have one sentence at each um, in each out- outline, and it helps us uh, navigate Jarvis to kind of give us the best content related to that sentence. Usually, mm. we 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 go and we do the research on the ranking articles, find that one sentence, maybe we rewrite it, something like that, and then we go after we have the article. We um, basically do the, you know, editor goes over it, checks the, the grammar, checks the, do the, does the proofread, all kind of uh, stuff related to it. Then it goes back to the content strategies who actually enters the links and, you know, links the article, maybe adds, uh, you know, a couple of... Um, couple of visuals or uh, you know goes to the con- to the designer if we need to create them and basically it goes to the co- to the client so they can check it out and see if we need to add something more or no but it's a bit different because we like to keep it conversational as mm. it is possible you know in the intro of course we need to give the overview of the article but we like to keep it more natural as the flow goes and um, we figure out that Jasper can write on uh, very heavy technical topics. The client that I'm talking about, it's called user guiding. We, mm-hmm. They do the user onboarding and they have lots of advanced stuff over there. We've managed to do all of it 
with uh, with the Jasper. Uh, basically, the whole process that we created, they were involved in it, helped them, uh, you know, how to choose the right people, the right content writer to hire in-house. And they were managed to hire juniors to kind of, uh, you know, when they have a process, just get them into the, those things uh, and go and do because, you know, they are writing really lots of content. They want to become the, the media company as lots of companies want to do these days. And it really helps if you are producing that many things to have, you know, the, the team in-house that can, uh, you know, that you can lead to go this way or the other. Uh, but what uh, what is my findings out of it all is that basically the content writers are becoming the content strategists. Whether we mm. use AI or we have the defined process without the AI, basically, you know, content writers are actually the strategies that... Uh, helps you uh, connect different parts of the puzzle into into the article. Hmm. I wouldn't agree with that, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh... Finally, someone is disagreeing. I love that. So tell me more, tell me more. No, I mean, you know, like we, we have a head of content, right? Who's the content strategist, right? So they are responsible for seeing the bigger picture. I don't mm -hmm. see how the writer you know, an individual writer who's, you know, a member of a larger team would, you know, see and I wouldn't like want them to be responsible for the overarching strategy. Maybe I understood you wrong, right? But we usually like plan our content months in advance, right? So based on the earlier results, based on, you know, new keyword research, um, based on conversations with customers. We, we plan like how many of different types of posts we want to create. We look at obviously um, search volumes, but we, we look first at intent. We look at also keyword difficulty. Can we possibly even rank for this? We also, when it comes to content strategy, it's pretty complex, right? Because a lot of- Yeah, you also, also I guess you think about distribution before you get into the whole process. Yeah, not even distribution. I mean, SEO is our main um, channel mm -hmm. anyway, right? So, you know, sort of the distribution is, is just an ancillary um, tool. But um, thinking about, for instance, rewriting certain content or merging certain content, like when you produce a new piece of content, you don't know exactly how it will perform, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a lagging metric. So the content strategist needs to monitor like specific key pieces of content, see where they are, how they are performing in SERPs, are they being outperformed? Because, you know, the landscape changes all the time. There are new people, new stakeholders joining the race to the top. And obviously you want to preserve or improve your position. So um, our content writers have to sometimes, you know, update old posts or merge two or three posts or rewrite an old post that is not performing at all. So I would say they couldn't be content strategists because they don't see everything, you know, from hindsight and they don't have the foresight where we want to go, right? Yeah, yeah I, t I totally agree with, with that part. And I mean, like content upgrade can sometimes be a much better solution than writing a new article. Actually, in, in lots of cases, especially when, you, when you're just taking over the, you know, the whole somebody's blog that you haven't been a part of and it's been written before just for the for the SEO and it's not 
you know, some things are maybe more developed or more advanced and you need to add more things to that. Uh, but uh, what I was thinking is mm-hmm. the development of the, of the whole content writer role. Because uh, I don't think in the future, especially with AI development, those kind of stuff, that they, we won't have somebody who is uh, just writing. Mm-hmm. They will, uh, in most cases, they will use AI to write for them. They will be just the one going over the AI, checking the facts, because it's AI overall. We don't know, you know, if those stuff are real that is coming up with. Uh, so checking out those things in also is editing things, checking the grammar, all kind of stuff. And then, you know, of course, doing the stuff before it even goes to the, to the AI mm-hmm. tool. That's, that's kind of a, not just the writer, uh, with does writing knows all of those other stuff, but also development of the, of the role in mm-hmm. the company. Okay. So, so you meant like strategy on more like, um, content piece individual piece level right they would basically instruct yeah. the ai yeah yeah, yeah. definitely yeah yes. but uh but will we lose uh the writing i don't think so like the writing is something that is essential it has always been here now we've been talking about this you know like i don't know gary v we all will use audio we will not write like then we have we had video instead and we are still writing, and I think writing will remain the basics of uh, of everything that we do. Like I don't know how it is mm-hmm. with you and your team. Like I like to work with people that are all at least a decent copywriters. It means that they know how to structure the text, how to structure their thoughts, and everything. And it relates to the other stuff that they are doing outside of just writing. Yeah, yeah, I, I can totally agree with that. So I would say, you know, it's even more far reaching, like critical thinking, analytical thinking skills. That yeah. is what makes a good writer, not, you know, um, the perfect grammar, whatnot. So um, I have great experience with some non native, you know, um, content writers. Also, back to your comment on AI and how the writer's role will change. I think that in the future we'll also have a distinction between like elite writers who will actually write themselves and sign it with their own names. Um, Because one thing that AI is not capable of doing, and I don't think it will for a very long time, is to have its own opinions and to have its own experience. So we need to remember that whatever AI produces has already been said, right? It's pretty much... You know, of course, it, it's said in a new way. It's not, you know, duplicate content per se, but it's not original thoughts. Not it's not original ideas. AI is a machine that doesn't have its own experience. It doesn't have its own struggles. So by default, it's not relatable. And people still want to engage with the writer. They still want to engage with the content on a more personal level to see that it's written by someone who has you know, being through the same experience as themselves. So I think there will be definitely value in more like high-level thought leadership content um, that will be more than just, you know, sort of repurposed, super optimized SEO uh, content that's technically correct, but maybe not so, you know, personable. Um, and also, you know, what, what you can do even today is basically ask experts for opinions and, you know, even if you're using AI to produce your content, you can still add the expert opinions to it. So 
that way you can improve the quality for the for the users, the readers. Yeah, I totally I totally agree. Those are great points. And I mean, now today the the article is becoming something that is much more than just written content. You know, because you yeah. in you quote other people, you involve involve their thoughts in it. You maybe a link some tweets that are talking about it or use the Reddit thread or something else inside the article. You uh, embed the YouTube article, the podcast link, those kind of stuff. And it's becoming more complex piece of content than it is with just, with just writing. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's more and more as we uh, basically do the content upgrade, we do, you know, some pieces of content that maybe will give, uh additional value for the for the reader because yeah. you know i like to i don't know how you are organizing the content that will, will be my next question but you know the way i like to do it we have articles which are you know content which is totally not gated and open and i am against gating things but mm. for example like what i would gate is the resource for example like we have we have an article that is talking about you know, how to create the, the best landing page ever for SaaS, for example. Mm -hmm. And then we give them the checklist uh, or uh, like five examples of great landing pages that have been working for us that they can implement right now, for example. Like those, kind, those are kind of stuff that I would sometimes gate because they are resources, not the original content that we put out there. And it would kind of... Uh, you know, defined if that person is really interested to go a step further and, you know, uh, and maybe it is uh, a lead for us, not just somebody who has been interested in, in reading great content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I'm not so much in favor of gating because like usually gating is used for um building email lists yeah building yeah. funnels right um i don't know we we didn't have such a great experience with with funnels in general because i feel like with every step of the funnel people are dropping off obviously yeah, right like I'm getting so many emails that I rarely open something, right? Once, let alone, you know, go through several steps. Like our target audience is usually so busy, they don't have the time to like be nurtured in that sense. So um, we kind of gave up on the idea and mostly give things away. And um, the only way we, we collect addresses is for people who want to sign up to our newsletter which I write myself, product rants. Um, that's kind of a more personal, like basically storytelling, you know, um, conversation. It's it's mostly for inspiration and entertainment, right? Um, and lead nurturing is basically a natural byproduct of that, that people connect with me, with the brand, because they it resonates with them, or maybe even the opposite, they don't agree with some opinion I I have, and um, that just like gets them thinking, and you know that they, they connect with the brand in that way. But yeah, in 2022, when there is so much content, so much newsletters, funnels, etc., I I try to gate as low as possible. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And what, what I said would be, for example, you know, just four pieces of content out of the whole blog or something mm. like that, which is like a great resource that you can use right now. And I don't mean like sending five emails after that, just sending one and saying, hey, this is the resource that you sign up yeah. for. That's it. Use it. If you like it, please go ahead and tell us, uh, you know, how you like it. Or if you dislike it, let us know. Maybe we can do it better. And that's it. Mm. You know, I like to do it that way. I also am not fan of the lead nurturing, those kind of stuff. I think we can do those things in a different way, kind of, you know, in the feed, in communities, in one-on-one conversations. And we can use those channels to kind of get people to the next to the next step. So what, what do you do anything with their emails after you've sent the resource to them or? Yeah, usually it, it means that, you know, that they are uh, interested in, in a piece of content. Mm. So basically someone from the team uh, reaches out to them on LinkedIn okay. and says, hey, you wanted that piece of content. We are going to send it to you. Just wanted to see if you like it, if you if you dislike it, you know, give us the feedback. So starting one on one relationship, but mm-hmm. not. Okay. You know, uh, by sending them tons of emails, but w- involving the real person, which won't ever ask you, you know, do you want to buy mm-hmm. we, what we are selling? But, you know, do you maybe want to, uh, you know, do you need more help in implementing that? Or maybe here are a couple of more resources on our podcast that you can, you know, listen to that can uh, help you uh, do it, uh, you know, so it works for you, those kind of stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm also like like to do that if we need to do webinars for some clients because sometimes we need and uh, you know just related to the people saying that you know if we go in we implement demand generation right away we go to the revenue it's not happening we need mm-hmm. to first create the trust inside the company it can last for a month it can last for three months when we provide results in a way that they were working before then we can you know measure things and say hey these are the things that are not working or maybe they are too expensive we can do it in a different way and then you go and and do this stuff but before we get to that in most cases companies have webinars companies have mqls uh you know models those kind of stuff and i like to do to involve changes one at a time so sometimes it's you know people who are listening to the webinar it's, I first stopped doing the sales webinars. They're all 100% educative. Uh, and then basically I have a person reach out to all the people that have signed up mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, giving them, you know, hey, uh, you sign up for this, uh, you know, no matter if they said that they want to get the recordings or not, just, you know, you ask for recordings. I just want to see, you know, if you want me to send it here or send it over there and it's something that uh that works very well i learned that from gravy and the way they are doing things uh because you know that's how i got into conversation from some people from the from the company because mm-hmm. they reach out to me hey you've been on uh, this webinar uh you know you would you like to get the recordings those kinds of say, okay but i'm also having a podcast and i would like to host somebody from your company so can we arrange the meetings and, uh, you know, she said, yeah, let me arrange something. Then we reach out to the people from the company. Let me connect you. What's your best email for that? And we got into the different conversations. So it means we are building the relationship, mm-hmm. not going to, you know, transactional. 
yeah that sounds good definitely you know, um people are tired of being pestered on on linkedin all the time and uh, so having that more personal approach is probably the way to go i feel as well yeah yeah one thing that's that's working i think that might be a good good thing for you guys as well mm. is you know because i saw you using a pulse uh what has been working for us is creating a poll on a on a topic which gives us the answers that we have uh resources on so yeah. articles or yeah we've done that yeah mm. something like that and then when you reach out to people who voted on the poll nobody ever said no mm. they say okay i i'm interested in this topic this was my vote so i will i would gladly read the article because you don't want them to do anything else you just want them to read the article mm. yeah yeah definitely definitely that that's a good idea as well so tell me where do you see uh actually content going from here in let's say in this year because i've been talking with different people like erin balsa was on the podcast mm -hmm. she said maybe we will get uh we will see more uh big content so more researches uh those kind of stuff she said she's not seeing them that much then maybe the the rise of the influencers in b2b especially in b2b SaaS. so people involved more in uh, you know in bringing companies to the companies and you know those kind of stuff what, what do you see happening i i think it will be boring and i think we'll see more ai generated content and in, in general we probably won't you know see it because the, the whole goal is to create content that you can't you know distinguish from human written content at a glance but you know like with the research-based content for instance, why we don't produce that much of that. Like it, it has a different purpose than the content you would write with your writers or even with AI. So if you want just the content to rank for a specific keyword, right? Um, and you want to explain, I don't know, a particular problem and then the solution to this problem, right? Um, then creating research for that piece of content to back your claims up of course it would increase the credibility but would be super super expensive so i'm currently working on two research based pieces of content they will be bigger you know reports one is state of SaaS onboarding which we have been publishing for three years now this requires us to sign up for a few hundred of tools and then we have a checklist of the in-app elements they have so we have our nice. junior content editor actually doing that now for about two months. She's signing up for all these tools and then checking things off. Do they have a welcome screen? Yes or no? Do they have a, you know, um, interactive walkthrough? Yes or no? How many sign-up fields do they have? And then we look at the averages, right? And we produce the report. So the purpose of this report is not exactly to inform, right? Um, but to collect a lot of backlinks, basically, right? So, uh, yes, of course, it is like awareness generating asset um, because people want to benchmark themselves, right? So am I doing well or am I not doing well? The same with the other piece of study I'm doing myself this time, which is even more challenging, is the ROI of user onboarding. So basically, I'm taking a bunch of SaaS companies, setting up in-app onboarding for them 
and running an A-B test. So we see how many of the new users that sign up for their product um, reach the goal. So the key activation point, if they have in-app onboarding versus if they are left to their own devices. And we also cross-reference that with trial to paid conversion rate within these two groups. So it's an extremely, you know, difficult project to, to work on, right? Very resource consuming. What you want is more than a few clicks from Google, right? You want to get loads of backlinks. You want to get maybe featured in some major publications. Maybe you want to do a product hunt launch, right? So of course you can repurpose this content for a lot of smaller like studies and add pieces of this research into your existing articles on related topics. But, you know, considering the cost versus the, the value and how much you then need to spend on promoting this piece of content, um, I don't think a lot of companies will have the resources to be able to do that, right? Yes. That's why we don't see that much of research-based content. Um, but ultimately, I still feel most companies want to rank. They want to drive organic SEO traffic. They want to gain SEO visibility for specific keywords that are related to the product, maybe to their competitors, maybe to the solution they are offering or problems they are solving. Right. So for this type of um, content, AI is, is perfect. Um, and I think these tools will improve because, as you said, to use Jasper, <laughs> Jarvis, Jasper, um, you still need to find your way around it. It's still, I found it, I was like, no, this is too time consuming for us, right? Um, and the results it produced for us at this point, I didn't think it was worth the effort of, um, you know, learning the recipes and like, I was just frustrated. I'm not a very patient person, to be honest, but I was just frustrated <laughs> about like having to go back and forth and uh, remove like repetitions and like use the formulas, etc. Um, it takes us between an hour and two hours to produce a brief and then we leave it to the writer, right? The cost um, is not that huge. So maybe I will change my mind, but I think the AI tools still need to do some work on the usability user friendliness yeah right? yeah lots lots of them needs to invest more more in that and there is there is a comment we we got offline for a second so we did, mm -hmm. don't see it inside the restream but okay kyle says linkedin i use ai for writing sometimes because i'm dyslexic yeah, as fuck know. and i find writing tricky but using a tool like Wordtune, i can tweak my writing to reframe sentences and get better results mm -hmm. So one more way to to use to use tools like that for the people that you know have disabilities in writing and you know those kind of stuff. That's, yeah, that's good to hear. Also, content repurposing. You know, Jarvis Jasper has this function where you can just like rephrase, you know, yeah. a piece of content. So you can use it, for instance, for your social media posts. So out of one post, you can produce 10 posts that mean the same thing, but sound differently. So people don't see the same content over and over. Um, so yeah, I definitely think we will make huge progress in AI um, tools and AI writing in the next, maybe if not this year, then in the next few years, definitely. Yeah, one, one thing that I can recommend to people, uh, you know, uh, but 
we've been using just for four is like use a sentence to kind of get the narrative or whatever you want to say, uh, a plot, and then basically let him tell the story. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's this storytelling part over there. And it basically how it works is imagine that, you know, you and I are working together in the office for the whole day. And there is one interesting thing that happens during that day. And basically, it gives me that moment in a couple of sentences. Like, you know, uh, like Emilia enters the room screaming, like, don't write that content anymore. And uh, don't, you, don't use Jasper anymore. Then, you know, somebody else is coming and tell, can you explain it a little bit more? So you give your perspective. Then we saw a couple of examples, those kind of stuff. And it works really well. It gives you the situation. And mm-hmm. basically, you have the open window in somebody's life for a couple of minutes and you create the post out of it. So, mm-hmm. and, and those are the posts that we are not seeing anywhere on social media. So it's totally different when you have the discussion between people, you have specific situation. And I think, you know, just wanted to get it out there so some people can maybe try it out and see if it works for them in a, in a different way. Yeah, sounds like an interesting hook. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting, you know, because sometimes, let's, let's admit it, how, no matter how skilled we are in writing, sometimes we, are like, we have lack of inspiration or topics. But we, actually, we know the topics, but we have lack of inspiration because, like, I talk about this every single day. And sometimes mm-hmm. I need just the inspiration so it can work for that as well. Yeah. Yeah, but I also agree about the the research, the big pieces of content. Uh, I think what you're doing is great, and it's the sole reason for somebody to go to the user pilot and see what what are you coming up with. And you know, that's what I like. It got me attached to the company. You know, those kind of stuff. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. I think uh, lots of people will get attached to the company if they are investing that kind of effort in producing a piece of content, which is so valuable, mm, you know, yeah. out, outside of, of, you know, of thinking about SEO backlinks and that kind of stuff, but just the effort, you know, you are, uh, you are having a guy or a girl, I don't remember what you said, you know, uh, investing two months in uh, doing the research and trying things out and having all that put in a piece of content. Yeah, and that's what I also meant is the difference between, you know, like what AI can produce, right, and what elite human writers can produce, right? So opinions is one thing, and original research, original content is another thing, right? Because um, let's face it, things go out of date pretty quickly these days, right? So an article published two years ago may not be up to date. If you offer fresh insights, right, into a particular topic, that's why we do this research every year as well, right, Um, then you basically are going to stand out. I agree. That's a a huge point for actually going into doing those It also has to be actionable, right? So we picked these, and here a content strategy comes into place, we picked these two pieces of research for a reason, right? So... One is telling you, like, what is the status quo? What are the benchmarks? Are you performing better than the average or worse than the average in terms of, you know, um, the experiences that you have? And the other one is talking about the real outcomes 
the ROI of having these experiences versus not having them, right? So you can compare basically if um, investing in that type of um, in-app interactions with your users is going to help you, right? So if on average people who don't have any in-app onboarding have say a trial to paid conversion rate and B2B SaaS, we have like a free trial model, let's say 15%, but the ones that do have it have 25% and you don't have it, you may want to, and your trial to pay conversion rate is say 15%, you may want to try if this would work the same way for you, right? Totally agree. And, and I see, you know, like when we are already talking about AI and those kind of stuff, it's, uh, you know, I see a lot of companies rising which are just collecting the data and helping people, especially the C-level executives or people who are running marketing, you know, what's working, what's not to kind mm -hmm. of, you know, analyze the data and those kind of stuff. And Okay, it happened again. Okay, <laughs> not so your lucky are... day. <laughs> yeah, but, but so anyway, just wanted to say that uh, you know, either if you are producing the the content or those kind of stuff, you can use content, you can use AI, you can use human approach in in a different way, whatever works for you, whatever resources you have for you. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, so tell me tell me and all the other guys when they can find more information about you, about uh, things you are working on and where they can maybe get into the interaction with you, give your you know feedback on the stuff that they are doing related to, to what you just said and those kind sure. of stuff. Sure, um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you may want to share the link to my profile. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where I hang out quite a lot, so... Yeah, I try to publish posts that regularly as well. So just the random thoughts I have. Um, and yeah, I'm very happy to answer any questions. I'm also starting, it's still quite empty, but I'm starting a Patreon account where I'll be, you know, listing all the resources that we have produced, basically. Um, that's something that I wish I had when I was starting out, right? That I didn't have to sort of produce the whole workflow, produce all the checklists, templates, et cetera, from scratch. But I'll announce that a bit later, also on LinkedIn, because um, I haven't topped it up yet with the resources. Um, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. You'll send me the link, so we will add it also in the description of the episode. Sure. Uh, and for the end, what is one thing that you can tell to the people, uh, you know, that can give them a practice practical advice or uh, some inspiration or whatever you whatever it is on your mind at the moment right so i would i would say um like you know don't sweat it relax and don't worry too much if i don't know you uh haven't been able to hit your target immediately because um content is a long game it's a marathon not a sprint so you really need several months to see the results of your work. 
and to appreciate the results of your work. As I said, I'm a very impatient person, so I was getting very stressed and frustrated, you know, when like oh, three months and I still don't see the numbers going through the roof. Um, you may read all these LinkedIn posts that, oh, someone achieved 500% in one month. Yeah, maybe in their niche, maybe they are super, super niche. There's no competition. Nobody has been writing anything about this, right? And um, it's super easy for them to rank, right? Maybe they already had a very established domain. I was working on a use case like that a few years ago. In one country, they had very high domain authority, and then they entered another market, right, like a local market in a different language where all the keywords were super easy. So when they entered with their high domain rating, international domain, they just blew everyone else out of water and ranked for all the top keywords and started raking in these results very quickly. But, you know, just chill and be realistic as well about the potential you have in your content strategy. So look at the search volumes and then think, how many of these keywords are you really going to rank for on the first place in Google, right? Um, that's probably going to be maybe like 10% of all the content you produce. That's already very good, right? You can measure it. You can estimate it pretty um, accurately if you spend a lot of time on it. It's probably not going to be worth it. But just looking conservatively at the search volumes, think that only 37% click on the first result anyway right, these days, and it declines so much with every position in Google, right? So if you're on the second or third or fourth position, you'll probably get only like 5% of all the search volume, right? So just estimate what is the likelihood that you will, you know, hit your ambitious target, because maybe you want to drive, I don't know, 50,000 visitors to your website, but it's only possible to drive 10,000 with the content strategy you're working on. So be realistic, right? That's another piece of advice. And don't overestimate how much you can achieve with content. Don't pull a number out of thin air because you saw someone has done it. It doesn't mean that you can do it in your business. Um, yeah, so that, that's yeah, that's, it, that's so That's so well said. I said that about all the advice that we, that we give and we get from LinkedIn, because like, uh, I think 80% of the advice that is out there is from people working in, in fast-growing companies, tech companies, and it cannot be applied to all the industries. It cannot be applied even to, to the whole B2B industry, mm. not in some, something else. So we need to take everything uh, with, a, with a hold and see if it works for us. Do we have the capacity to do it? And, you know, well said about, about the content and um that's generally i think an advice that lots of people uh need these days to kind of relax and look at things from you know just go over the basics see what resources do you have and what you can do with that yeah yeah and you know having data i feel like it's really empowering and helps you relax and uh actually not freak out because when you have the data, you know, how much you can realistically achieve with your content plan, right? You know your resources, you can calculate, you know, more or less how much you can achieve after say a year, because we need to remember that the content will take some time to rank and maturate, right? And then you go to this with, to, with this to your CEO or your client and you say, this is what's possible, right? Um, 
And then you have some sort of, you understand how to get there, right? You adjust course on the way as you start getting data, but you don't, you know, overpromise and underdeliver and then feel horrible because you just were shooting for the stars and uh, with, I don't know, um, a tennis ball, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, talking about resources, you know, kind of stuff, you know, it's also the budget is also the team is also yeah. other stuff that are exactly. there. So, so, you know, it goes, it goes from the top. Okay. These are results that we do. We, do we have the capacity inside the company to actually achieve those things? Do we are, you know, uh, sea level willing to invest that much of a budget that we need to kind of have those results? If not, mm. let's go back to the drawing board and see what we can actually do with with what we have yeah totally great great said uh and great points for the for the end uh thank you one more time for being here uh thank you Nemanja. a little over over an hour to Super talk about interesting. yeah i think uh you know maybe you you can come back when you actually publish the the research so we can talk more Absolutely. about the whole process about that i'd love that mm-hmm and uh you know guys uh now you you know what you need to do you need to go back to the beginning of this episode listen again to everything emilia has to say if you are listening this over audio i think it would be good to go to the you know to look for the funky marketing show on youtube go and see she shared the screen she shared the you know how the whole process is going so you can go over there look at it you can reach out to her when you don't understand something uh and basically one last thing is you need to keep it chill and keep it funky exactly amen (laughs) (laughs) bye bye